Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome, everybody, to another emergency episode of the New Slant Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Newbeck, and this week, our podcast being brought to you by our friends at Indeed and Bet Online. So, shout out to both those companies for helping to keep our lights on. With me, as he is every time, although we've been on you know a little short hiatus, so it's been a bit longer than usual. My buddy, my pal, a guy who is fired up about the Sixers for perhaps the first time in. I couldn't even tell you how long. Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you? This is no lie. I'll say the most excited I've been as a Sixers fan. There are three big moments for me in like recent Sixers history. It's game three against Toronto where Embiid does that windmill. Like I'm in the stands. I feel like that was the pinnacle of that run in 2019. Then obviously the previous fall, you have the Jimmy Butler trade and, you know, Stephen A's reaction. Some to everyone, we'll see. We'll see doing that whole bit. Um <laughs> But really, that that was awesome, man, today. That was exactly – I tested positive for COVID yesterday. And I think like I was uh, – like Daryl Morey's Illuminati sacrifice where that's the one thing that had to even out in the universe for the Sixers to actually get their crap together. Oh, man. Talk about burying the lead. I didn't realize that you were uh... – I'm okay. I was really sick last week, but I'm okay now. Okay. Well, so, like symptoms have subsided, but – yeah, luckily, but well, obviously not the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, glad to hear you've made it through the, I guess, the tougher part. Hopefully, of having it, that you're aware of it, and you know, I know yeah, I'm sure you took all the proper. Yeah, I'm in super steps. duper deep quarantine, like even quarantine from Ashley within the apartment style now. So just waiting now. I haven't. I've been symptom free for a while. It's like ten days after your first symptoms, which is like tomorrow right. but it's gonna keep it through the weekend and you know maybe not really go outside till next weekend yeah well there you go good guy in the community Seamus Clancy looking out for for everybody else even when it's during Dallas week but that is uh obviously not not the subject of this podcast so what what were you what were you doing today Seamus when the Maury news came down because I actually was out and buying a plant at a local plant store when this happened. Urban Jungle? And it was Urban Jungle is actually Great the spot. exact place I went. Great not spot. a uh just not spawn con. It just naturally it's within walking distance from where I live now. And I happened to be walking there as the first time and only time I left the apartment all day. So of course the Sixers have a knack for either on about to take a nap or take a, big a shower. Nap, big or... nap. And in 2016, whenever anything happened, I was taking a nap. Like a they depression nap to, in college. They love to do this shit. Like they make important decisions when it's the most... Because I'm the protagonist of the universe, obviously. They love to inconvenience me personally uh, all the time. So it took me... 
I don't want to say completely off guard because even as I've reported that Elton Brand was, you know, kind of sticking it out here as the lead voice, uh, everyone that I've talked to always left the as the, the Philly door voice. Open. Everyone always left the door open on the team side that, you know, we're not saying that we'd never hire someone like Daryl Morey, but this is what we're doing now. And, you know, the subtext of that is, all right, there. it's like when you write, you know, some legalese into a contract. It's something that they clearly are interested in. It's just a matter of the, the feasibility of it. So, you know, from my view... This is the guy they've been chasing, at least one of a small handful of guys they've been chasing for years, dating back to, you know, the the fallout from the Brian Colangelo Burnergate scandal. Um, and here's what I would say, and I say this as someone who I think I've been one of the people who has been most adamant questioning Josh Harris, David Blitzer, and company about whether they would pay the luxury tax, whether they would take what it spend what it takes to win like at several press conferences i've made sure to get them on the record about those things because you know it was an unknown at the time and while already being in you know deep tax territory with the roster they are spending a lot of money to bring in doc rivers and daryl morey and some other assistant coaches who we'll get to later like they're not sparing any expense to try to make this team as good as it can be off of the floor. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean, and Seamus, you and I have both seen this with the Eagles over the years, winning the offseason isn't indicative of anything in a lot of cases. Sure. But the fact that they're willing to put the resources on the table to you know, give this team a chance, especially a team that as recently as a couple of months ago, we all kind of thought they were just screwed for the foreseeable future. I think that's a positive sign before we even get to the merits of, you know, Maury and the rest of these guys individually. This is so weird to have him on the Sixers organization. Right. It's one of those, like, it's like the wish casting stuff that I think a lot of people would have loved for him to be the GM or the, I should say president of basketball operations and they went out and they made it happen. And that's in spite of some early reporting, which, you know, some of this could have been agents posturing to get him a little more money saying that he might take a step back from basketball after yeah uh, everything that happened with the, uh, the Hong Kong situation, the fallout from that and just the wear and tear of, you know, being a lead executive that long. And they went and scooped them up the same way they got, Doc Rivers, so I I think that at the very least, if they can't recruit the star talent on the court, they might as well try to do it off the court. I went from legitimately hoping the ownership crew moved them to North Jersey and us getting an expansion franchise within the next five years. <laughs> uh, like that sounds like a, it is kind of a joke. But at the same time, I wouldn't really have hated that. I like it probably would have been good for like a two year detox and just gotten like a fresh start with someone else as the ownership group. But you know, it's the most cliched thing you could say. But you know, once they thought I was out, they sucked me right back in. Yeah. So. All right, I guess give me some general thoughts on Daryl Morey. Like, what do you like about him? What do you not like about him? And how do you think this all works between, 
you know, Elton Brand, as far as I understand it, will still be there. He's still planning to be the GM as of this moment. Uh, Doc Rivers is a coach, obviously. You know, I think he probably would have had more say if Maury was not in the picture, but it's certainly a guy whose voice will continue to carry weight. And they have the other two recent front office hires that were made. So there's a lot of cooks in this kitchen. So how does that all shake out, you think? Uh, through the history of his time with Houston, I guess the Russell Westbrook trade notwithstanding has been a shrewd mind uh, working the trade mill, has always signed these kind of undervalued free agencies, has been on the forefront of the analytical movement. And the aspect I like a lot when he's coming to Philadelphia is that he doesn't hold any sort of emotional attachment, any sort of longing or compassion. I don't mean that necessarily. And it sounds negative, but uh, he's not tied to any of these players. He doesn't have to keep Joel Embiid. Like, I don't want to trade Embiid, but just as an example, he doesn't have to trade Joel Embiid because he's been through the rough with Joel Embiid for six, seven years. He doesn't have to keep Al Horford because he signed Al Horford last year. He kind of has, I would hope so, you know, carte blanche where make the team in his own mold. He's, you know, one of the brightest minds in the NBA, if not the brightest from a front office perspective. And with a team that's as much as of a, you know, kind of a clusterfuck in terms of roster construction and fit. This is the guy, if I could pick literally anyone in the NBA to try to sort out their woes, to take them from this, you know, as, as much as they're, they're like the worst bad team. I mean, they're, they're the worst good team. Like, they're theoretically a good team, but they suck. There's one person to take them out of that <laughs> mud. I would pick him to do it. Right. So here's – I'll start with the positive on, on Maury. I think he's someone that has shown a lot of creativity, both when he has resources at his disposal and when he doesn't. And what I mean by that is, you know, he basically never had the option that Sam Hinkie had. In Couldn't tank. He never, he never had that mandate. The mandate from Houston ownership in the beginning was – Look, you're going, and some of that's like, look, they had T Mac and Yao Ming at the time, so you couldn't unless you're dealing those guys away. But even after those guys are injured and gone, and or gone, he was not allowed to to go that route, and he still was able to, you know, he makes these shrewd trades, red paper clip mode. Right, he's collecting first-round picks. He's valuing second-round picks, for that matter, before that became a more common practice around the NBA. He's trying to pick up guys like Kyle Lowry, but then flipping guys like Kyle Lowry in an attempt to package more stuff to eventually go after James Harden. And, you know, you look at, he, he turned over guys like Carl Landry, Chandler Parsons before he got hurt. Those are second round picks that turn into like really good NBA contributors. Luis Scola turned into a guy there that they basically got for nothing the first summer that Maury was on the job. They plucked Patrick Beverly out of Russia and you know now he's like a longtime really good role player. Clint Capella is another good draft pick of his. Like he has a good history of, you know turning up value where, you know, a lot of people might not see the value there. And I think on top of that, you know, he's the people who don't like Daryl Morey will paint him as like, well, he's another numbers guy. He relies too heavily on the analytics. But the thing that I think is 
his driving belief is the most traditional of all basketball beliefs. And it's that star players are the guys that win. He's willing to sell out to get those guys. He's willing to, you know, adapt as many times as is necessary around those types of players in order to build a winner. Like he's a guy who has been able to woo free agents. They were able to draw Dwight Howard to Houston away from L.A. Now the merits of signing Dwight at the time and how that ends up turning out is a different story. But, you know, he was able to build a credible sales pitch to get one of the most attractive free agents in the NBA at the time to come play in Houston. That's a thing to keep in mind. And he's been able to dump bad money in the past. Like when they gave too much money to Trevor Ariza, and the the first time around, he was able to get off of that deal, turn it into other things, and they they tinker, they toy around. Some of that is because he's been you know a little loose with trading these first round picks, as you mentioned briefly, Seamus. The Russell Westbrook trade, I think, was the biggest miscalculation. That I think that was an fu one foot out the door move. Like I'm going to trade for Russ, and if it doesn't work out, I'm probably going to be out of here anyway. So you know, f ownership, f Tillman. And, you know, I think part of that, too, is also that the Chris Paul-Harden relationship deteriorated in a way that they probably didn't foresee. But that brings me to the negative side of Maury. And, you know, I think this claim gets thrown around a little too loosely where anyone who's a numbers or analytics guy is just like this cold calculating computer guy who just doesn't give a shit about any of the the extras and the chemistry and whatever, because, you know, you look at the, this Houston team even now, and most of those guys on the current team are like pretty high character dudes. Like I can tell you from being around Robert Covington, that he's a, a quote unquote culture guy. PJ Tucker is a quote unquote culture guy. Like they don't not value culture, but I think in at times in the past, he's gone for talent over fit and over chemistry and so on and so forth to his own detriment and to the detriment of the Rockets. I think the best example of that is when they made a, a multiplayer trade to get Ty Lawson in 2015. Oh. And that was immediately after. And when I say immediately, I am pretty sure one of Ty Lawson's DUI arrests that year was six, within a week uh, before Maury traded for him. So that was they ignored these personal character flaw red flags and Lawson ends up flaming out of the league. It was like a if it had not been for the fact that they didn't give up a ton to get him, it would have been a huge disaster for them. So those are the type of things that I worry about, especially as they're in this position right now where they're not going to be dealing from a position of strength when they make trades and Maury might end up saying, you know, I'm willing to take a risk on a quote unquote character flaw guy or someone whose personality might not match with Ben and Joel or whatever it is, whatever it ends up being. Like there are ways that can manifest that might be a problem. But I, I don't want that to make it sound like I'm negative on the hire overall. I think it was as good of a hire as they could possibly make on the front office side. I just think that people should be aware of you know, the downsides with Maury as well as all the considerable upside. Do you want to go into further why you hate this hire for the Sixers? <laughs> no, again, I, I, I will reiterate this again. I think this is an absolute slam dunk hire. Like there is 
there's nothing I can say to legitimately criticize them. But if we're talking about, you know, their path to contending and becoming a champion, which he has not been able to do so far, although I think a lot of that is just the fact that Chris Paul's legs gave out in 2018 when they most likely would have won the title, if not for that. Um, I That's just something that we have to keep in mind and, and something that as I guess we prepare for the trades that are certain to come in the months between now and the restart, uh, those are th- that's something to keep an eye on at the very least. Uh, yeah, it's a difference for me between when Doc Rivers was hired and I thought, eh, this is probably the best they could have done to when I get the notification that they are bringing Daryl Morey aboard. And it's like, no, this is literally the best thing they could have done. Yeah, I don't, there's nobody that's available. Like maybe you can make an argument for someone that's under contract elsewhere. Like they gave RC Buford five bajillion dollars or something. Or like, you know, I don't know if people, how people think of like Bob Myers and yeah, uh, Cold yeah. State and what have you. But like, again, those are guys that you're going to have to offer a shitload of money and you're going to have to pay up assets to get them which was the whole problem with Maury previously. And, you know, to the credit of ownership, they wanted him before. And as soon as he was legitimately available, it seems for all intents and purposes that, you know, they pressed and they pressed hard to get him. And, you know, I I have a lot of issues with them in terms of their involvement in basketball ops and, you know, how that's manifested on the court. But uh, they have done an excellent job of building out the basketball ops department this offseason. I'll give them that. Um, and so you brought up Rivers. I wanted to touch on this real quick. So I think one thing that might cut into or like help Maury deal with some of his weaknesses as an executive is that Doc Rivers almost exists as an exact opposite of him. Like Doc Rivers is a chemistry and trust above almost all else type of coach. Like he, he rides for his guys. He believes in, you know, the team is bigger than anything and anyone. And that's a very different, I know they've worked together in the past. So I, like, I, I think that in they're Boston. thrilled to, yeah, I know they're going to be thrilled to work together or this wouldn't have come together in the first place. But I think that that, that makes for an interesting combination, right? Where, you know, Maury has this approach that, as you say, Seamus, is kind of ruthless. It's very calculating. It's, I don't want to say detached because that makes him sound like deranged. Some sort of, <laughs> it makes him sound like a, a bad person, but you, it's a level of detachment from, you know, the, the day to day results and doing what's best for the long term and, you know, sometimes the star players at the cost of other guys. And Doc has a very different approach. And I think somewhere in the middle is where they'll both ultimately find success. And I think that gets back to something that Rivers has stressed about his own philosophy is that the guys he wants on his coaching staff, let alone to be in an organization, are people who will challenge his belief system, who are not afraid to speak their minds. And, you know, if nothing else, the Sixers certainly have a lot of people who are opinionated and not going to be leaking stuff through the media and would rather just, you know, take a straightforward, direct approach. And I, I think that'll ultimately be healthy for this group, even if they don't end up making the major changes we're expecting. 
Yeah, I think you have to love the Rivers hire even more with the backdrop of bringing Mori aboard, where, again, there's a yin and a yang there on top of already their collaborative background, where I think that's a perfect fit, where you want a guy in the locker room as your head coach who has an understanding of his players, has a certain level of emotional intelligence, has a reputation for being a great locker room guy. And then you you pair that with, again, this, uh, so to say, calculating, I guess, in a more positive tone, positive connotation, uh, general manager, uh, president of basketball ops guy who is so forward thinking. It really is like the best uh, molding of this person who's always thinking of the future, innovating, being ahead of things, and this guy who's very centered in the present and has an understanding of what's going on on the team at a, at a given time. All right, so let's leave it there for right now. I want to get to like one or two more things on Maury after this, and then we'll get to the coaching hires. But we're going to take a quick break, talk about our sponsors, and then we will be back. So even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. And Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Uh, That's not the case in Sixers world these days, a lot of long-term contracts, but I don't don't think they hired Daryl Morey off at Indeed. Uh, Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed's going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. The offer is valid through December 31st. If you know me, you know I love football. And the best thing about football is you can make some money on the games because football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year. I'm not attending any Eagles games, but you can still get in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, love the player props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Take the Eagles to win the NFC East. Do it. Thank me later. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You're a lot more confident in that uh, Eagles division crown than I am. Although I should, I will say that in this division, that if they're going to win one, it's this fucking dog shit. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be saying if they were in a normal division. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so back to Maury for one second before we get to the other guys. I do wonder, like, I'm not, uh, this is not me reporting anything. Uh, this is not based on anything I've heard. I do wonder now if any sort of, like, does this trade the organizational stance on, you know, not trading either of Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons? And I think some people have gone too far with this because it's like, well, he traded away all the big men in Houston. Or, well, he doesn't like people who don't shoot threes. And that's a little dismissive of, you know, analytics generally, but certainly of the general philosophy that Maury has, which is that you want to score on layups, free throws, and threes. Joel Embiid generates a ton of free throws. Ben Simmons generates a ton of threes for other people. And they are the type of talents that he wants to go out and get when he's building an organization. I think he's a lot more creative than people give him credit for, which is really the the basis for the trades that he made to build that funky science experiment team in Houston uh, the back half of this season. But I do wonder if this opens any doors toward uh, one of those guys hitting the road at some point. And I, I guess the, the additional subtext there is like, look, if they make all these changes, they make all these hires and presumably make a couple trades before this season and they still end up not looking like they're going anywhere with this duo after this season, I think the rubber is going to meet the road next year if it doesn't before that. Yeah, I think uh, as opposed to if they just ran it back with Elton Brand mostly in charge and this you know collaborative shithead thing they had going on, it's much more likely that they part with one of them, again, akin to what I was saying earlier, where he doesn't necessarily have an attachment to one or both of these stars. And he's kind of brought into, it is an ill-fitting roster to make this team in his own image. And if his vision doesn't include one of them or potentially even both of them, I think the Sixers are going to be okay. And by the Sixers, I mean the ownership group with allowing him to make those types of moves. And I think it's more likely than again, it would have been, you know, in my mind two days ago that not only will one of these guys be gone, you know, by the summer of 2021, I think there's, you know, even a possibility one of them isn't on the team come, you know, December and, you know, the first game of the season. So, I'm just going to put this out there. If Houston says James Harden is available at some point in the next, I don't know, let's say one to two years. I think he's a free agent. I think he's still got like three. Let me check this right now. As we're, you know, This is always great podcasting as, as people Google things in the middle of the podcast. Um, James Harden's contract runs through god damn it now it's you know it sent me to transactions instead of i think it's 2023 okay 2022 23 is a player option year and i guess like a bajillion dollars he's going to opt in for right maybe but it depends on how good he still is and what happens to the salary cap which is he's going to make a billion dollars like he what's the option for the options for $47 million. But he's not, he'll, he might get another big contract that year. Sure. Is what I'm saying. So maybe he opts out. So let's just assume he opts into that deal and, or let's say he opts out of that deal. 
So he would be a free agent the offseason of 2022. Let's say Houston says before then, we'll give them to you, and you have to give us one of Embiid or Simmons. Who do you trade and why do you do it? Uh, Ben Simmons, probably. What do you say? I think I agree with you. So here's the issue. Joel is the better player and you want to keep the better player. Ben has the, you know, people like to say he has the higher upside. I, I think the the more... We're getting more critical, theoretical with that at some point where he's getting right. older. And- I think the problem that I would have with trading Ben versus trading Joel in this deal, and I would still do it, but just the conceptually, I don't know that the personalities are a great match. Like I, Joel has not shown the, like he's not the everyday tone setter that they've needed him to be. Maybe he evolves into that guy over time. And, you know, James Harden for as incredible as he has been as a, unbelievable as his numbers are, he has his playoff struggles and a lot of it seems to be like, you know, he's just not really built for all that. And I think Ben wants that. I don't know that he's capable of that from a, you know, offensive skill perspective. I don't, I just, he doesn't feel like the right personality to bring the best out. Like in the way that Jimmy Butler was when they dealt for him, I don't know that he can get the best out of either one of those guys. I would still make the deal. And I think that's the sort of deal Daryl Morey would consider and might now be more on the table, but uh, it's just something I'm going to be thinking about for a bit because now that, you know, I'm pretty sure in Daryl Morey's departure, letter or statement whatever it was from houston he actually personally thanked james harden the whole thing was almost about harden more so than like the rockets or the city it was more like a thank you to james harden right so like his success in his managerial career is pretty heavily tied to harden and i think that's something that we're probably going to have we're going to be monitoring for a while i know i believe it was i want to say john clark reported that Part of the reason My they coworker. wanted to go after D'Antoni was that they thought it would be helpful to, they think they can lure James Harden eventually. You know, you start, I thought it was complete bullshit at the time. There's no disrespect to John, but, you know, you see mm. them go after Maury and it's like, hmm, there's some some smoke starting to build. Johnny here, Airport so. knows oh. his stuff. Yeah, it was never about dismissing, you know, John's sources or whatever. It's just like, yeah, you know, like a lot of teams would like James Harden to play basketball for them. Um, so, yeah, I, those are those are the type of conversations I think we might be having in the not so distant future. Although I, I'm I'm fairly confident that if they can't make a trade like that happen, Daryl Morey will move heaven and earth to try to build a more coherent team around Joel and Ben both unless one of them mass out. So is there any chance Al Horford is on the team opening night? It feels like a no. I, I, can't, and I honestly, can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. Honestly, I don't so I don't know how they'd make it work uh salary wise. Houston might actually be a a reasonable landing place for our friend Mr. Horford. Uh, I don't know how they would make that work, but some three teamer with OKC or something. 
Yeah, I think that would probably get way too complicated if you add OKC because they're trying to dump they're trying to dump money, not absorb money, which is probably what would have to happen there. But I don't know. I, here's the good thing about Daryl Morey: we can put a lot of possibilities on the table that were just probably not there before. He's creative. He's willing to go for it. And actually, that's a thing, Seamus. Before we move on to the coaches, I want to bring this up because I think it's probably my. I don't remember the exact quote, but he once said, "He goes any team that has." I'm paraphrasing here, but he said something along the lines of, "Any team that has even a five percent chance to compete for a title has a responsibility." to go for it like you it's the whole philosophy is you you can't run scared you can't play scared you have to embrace competition and be willing to like for lack of better phrasing put your balls on the table and go for it and one of the things i really respected about him was he fucking lived up to that like that 2018 rockets team that had the warriors on the brink before they make that chris paul trade they could have easily you know Having Harden as your best player, they're basically on autopilot winning 50-plus games a year. And instead of staying with what they have or something resembling what they had, they went for it. And they tried to beat the team that nobody thought could be beat. Now, they end up failing in large part because, again, Chris Paul's legs fell apart in the Western Conference Finals. But this is a guy who's not going to back down from a challenge and... I don't think it's going to be like, well, we need a, a soft reset or rebuild here. He's going to come in here as Doc Rivers is expecting to win and to compete right now. And he's going to do whatever it takes to to make that happen. That's what I that's my read of the situation. Yeah, I think wouldn't be what do you think what the betting odds would be to have one of James Harden and Chris Paul, not both of them, just one of them on the Sixers opening night lineup? Think decent. They're higher than they were yeah, 24 hours ago. Yeah, no shit. Um, I don't know if I couldn't put odds on it. I think Paul is still the more realistic one because I think we're probably... Say plus still, 450. I think Harden is still a ways away from even being available, if I had to guess. like I don't think they're, they're at the point where... I don't think Harden is at the point either where he's just going to flee the scene. And I think culturally... He likes Houston more than he would like Philadelphia. He's uh, heard from quite a few people his preference for the strip clubs and the, let's let's not call them strip clubs. His preference for the adult entertainment in Houston relative to uh, other places in the continental United States. Um, so I don't know that he's itching to get out of there yet, but uh, something to watch long term. I think Chris Paul. I don't think Maury would have any problem trading for him if he thinks it'll make this team better i'll put it that way do you think alan iverson would let him wear number three i think he would it's a great question i don't you know this is like maybe. it's not important but i think like iverson's the like one uh ex-player who actually loves all of these young players so i think he'd actually do that not that chris paul is that young obviously they played against say. Well, I mean, this Chris Paul's flattered. Do you think he's young? <laughs> well, I mean, just a younger generation than him, obviously. Actually, you know what? That brings up 
How much older do you think Allen Iverson is than Chris Paul without looking? So Chris Paul played, I believe, had to play two or three years at Wake Forest and was in the 2005 draft. Iverson played two years at Georgetown 96 draft. So I'll say Iverson is nine years older. You're very close. He's 10 years older. He's 45. Chris Paul is 35. So, all right, moving on to some other hires the Sixers made or are about to make that were first reported on uh, Wednesday afternoon. They actually made three hires. I've only written slash reported on two of them, but David Aldridge also reported that they are hiring the former Clippers video coordinator for a coaching position. I am blanking on his name at the moment. Uh, Pete Dominguez is the guy. My guy. So I can tell you I know, I'll be honest and say I know nothing about him as of this moment. So he's goaded. Comment right now. But the two name hires they made first was Dan Burke. From the Indiana Pacers, longtime defensive guy there, longtime Joel Embiid hater, which is very funny. He's the new scapegoat if anything goes wrong. Fuck Dan Burke. <laughs> and favorite of my co-host, Sam Cassell, former enthusiast of the big balls dance during his playing days. A guy who... Or one of those head coaches. Yeah, Seamus has floated his name for the head coaching job in past podcasts. A guy who not only grinded his way through the coaching ranks immediately after his playing career ended, he was actually a de facto assistant under Doc Rivers in his final NBA season. So, you know, it's a guy who really cares and wants to teach, has earned some rave reviews. So I guess just give me some uh, quick thoughts on both guys but since you're the Cassell guy I'll I'll shine my insight on the uh the Burke hire I'll leave Cassell to you yeah I think the Burke hire is fine and obviously the the jokes are going to be there for sure but Cassell is kind of everything you want in a, in a, a modern head coach where he has tons of you know actual hands-on concrete coaching experience but at the same time, he's played in the NBA relatively recently. He has he probably garners the respect of a lot of the players who grew up knowing who he was. He was, you know, he probably did he make like an all-star team probably once with the Timberwolves or something like that. He, you know, won a couple of rings with the Houston Rockets. All that stuff matters. So I'm actually gonna look up and see if I don't remember if he I don't think he ever made an all-star team. Did he I make think the, he was the 2003? Like a- He's a friend. I mean, he's not like a superstar. Oh, no. Yes, but right. He did. 2003 for the Timberwolves. Yeah. I think he was a fringe guy. Some of the he's other a fringe all star. He's a fringe all star. Yeah. Role player on two championship te- on two championship teams in Houston, and one in Boston too. He was he was on, on a, he was he was on a, okay. Yeah. So I dropped those rings on the table first meeting with the team. Say you want this. Listen to me. So I mentioned this in the article I wrote today. Paul Pierce a few years ago actually said that Sam Cassell was the real third member of Boston's Big Three, which was a, a fucking hilarious You don't know quote. how hard my eyes just rolled. <laughs> it was a hilarious quote to dismiss, you know, Ray Allen's role in uh, 
that title year because Ray Allen left them to go to Miami. There's a lot of axes to grind there. I knew we were going to get one of the 08 Celtics somehow, whether they were going to (laughs) play Big Baby Davis as the 10th man or bring one on as an assistant coach. Uh, We found our answer in Sam Cassell. It's a little sickening, to tell you the truth. Uh, But here's what I'll say about Cassell. I think I'm less convinced as a lot of, than a lot of people are that, you know, I don't know that we know a lot about him in terms of like tactics and scheme and all that. So I can't call it a slam dunk hire in the way that we say the Daryl Morey hires a slam dunk hire, but there's that plenty of evidence just... that he's been a positive influence. John Wall has raved about the work that Cassell did with him. I think a lot of it, you're just, as you say, Seamus, you're banking on his cachet as a player. He was like pretty much always a leader wherever he was. Like those Houston teams, he was a rookie during the first title run and a second year player when they won the back to back title. And he always kind of carried himself beyond his years. He was never afraid of the moment. If there's anything that, he could transfer to Ben Simmons, which I don't think it's ever going to happen. It's one of those things that just either have it or you don't. He just had a sense of fearlessness as a player that he didn't give a shit who was standing across from him or what the score was or like time of the game, the setting, whatever it is. Like that guy played pretty much the same all the time. He took the shots that came to him. And most importantly, importantly on this team, he played with a couple of really, really like all-time great big men in Hakeem Olajuwon and Kevin Garnett, two guys that are way different stylistically. Elton Brand. Learned how to – yeah, I don't know. That I would, I'm not putting Elton in that category. Sorry, Elton, if you ever happen to listen to this. But he learned how to play and not just get the best out of them but get the best for himself in those situations – And that's something that, you know, that's about finding floor spots. It's taking shots that are there when, you know, Joel gets doubled in in this instance for for Ben and Shake Milton and whatever, like preparing these guys to be ready because assuming that they don't move one of the tentpole guys, they do need to be ready to play on a team that is built, that will go as far as Joel Embiid takes them. So I, I think he's got plenty of knowledge and lessons to pass on there. And, you know, I think he's, you know, overall the impression I've gotten from people is that he's just a, a sharp, hardworking guy, which, you know, not surprising given how his playing career played out. So on Dan Burke, I think he probably has a quote unquote better reputation as an NBA coach, just because he has a longer track record he's been a coach dating back to the late 80s i believe he was originally a scout and a video coordinator for the blazers teams that went to the finals one of which uh, lost to jordan's bulls um and then he's been with the pacers for i want to say 20 plus years at this point and they've pretty consistently, regardless of the coach, been one of the best defensive teams in the league. And all that sounds good on a resume. But I'm a little skeptical. I guess it'll depend on who ends up being the dominant voice 
with the defense. I'm a little skeptical that Sixers fans are going to take a shine to him and the defense that will be played because he plays a lot of drop coverage with his bigs. And that's been the one sticking point for Sixers fans and the Sixers teams over the last few years has been their refusal to move away from that and how they've gotten killed, including in the playoffs this year because of that. So that's something to monitor, especially because he's pretty rigid on it. It's like the team plays one specific style and they stick to it. And if they so happen to keep Al Horford around and he's playing drop, we've seen how poorly that can go. The difference between uh, Dan Burke's defenses and some of the recent Sixers defenses is that he's pretty adamantly opposed to switching which is, has not been the case for a lot of the Sixers teams in recent history under Brett Brown. It actually is the total opposite of what Doc Rivers did in L.A. last season. Some of that might have been just due to personnel. You know, you're built around Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. But uh, I'm very curious to see how that plays out. Obviously, Dave Yeager has got a defensive reputation too. How do they all put this thing together. I think Seamus, I said this to you in a text a little while ago before we did the podcast that defensive guys tend to have a lot of influence on rivers teams. Like Tom Thibodeau is the best example when he was uh, the defensive coordinator in 08. And that defensive style was kind of the dominant defensive style for a few years there. And rivers kind of left him to that while he focused on the offense. So we'll see how it plays out, but you know, at, at the very least, there are two guys, two more hires that they're generally respected people around the league that, you know, in Burke's case, he's been in charge of a lot of high level defensive teams. Like I think the in the last 10 seasons, the Pacers have been in the top 10 on defense seven of those years and the other years they were like 12th or something like that. And a lot of those were you know, number one, number one, number three, number three, sixth. Like, they're up near the top in defense pretty consistently there. So, a lot to like with that hire, too. I'm all in. (laughs) You got anything else, or uh, you just going to go celebrate, maybe have a nice – I don't know. Are you going to have a a nice – cold adult beverage or are you still too sick to i'm not sick but just taking it easy is probably not yeah uh, well future beers for sheamus probably during the eagles game sunday we'll see yeah (laughs) all right well thank you everybody for for rocking with us again we will uh we'll talk to you soon probably not on another uh, three higher four higher day like we had today but uh until then Everybody stay safe, stay healthy. You you especially, Seamus. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. See ya. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. 
Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.